Yes, Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the dead and that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, when Mary and Mary Magdalene and Salome went to the grave expecting to anoint a dead body. They saw the angel sitting there and they said, where is Jesus? The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. I submit to you tonight that that's the greatest news the world has ever heard. He is not here. He has conquered the grave. He's alive. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that there's more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than almost any other fact in Roman history. I don't believe there's a fact in ancient history today so well proven as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even if there was no proof, no historical proof, no scientific proof, and there is, I would still believe it because I believe this book is God's inspired word and the whole early church went up and down the country preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire. That a man had risen from the dead. That he was alive. That death could not hold him. Christ is alive. He's a living savior. Welcome to Kesset at Easter. My name is Danny, and I am one of the pastors here. I'm so excited that, you're, that you chose to spend Easter Sunday with us. This is an especially significant and, and special Sunday for those of us who call Kesset home because this is the very first uh, Easter Sunday in our own church home. And so that's a, that's a really, really big deal to uh, <laughs> especially those of us who have been pushing carts for 12 years. So... Hallelujah, he is risen. Um, if you're a guest, I am so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming to check us out. Uh, Kesed is a place for people who are spiritually curious, people who are interested in, um, in what it means to, uh, to kind of find a, a bit more meaning in life than, uh, than maybe your own pursuits. Uh, and I, it's been amazing what God has done over the last year or so since we started streaming live. So I want to welcome all the folks that are, uh, that are streaming not just uh, here in our home state, but many other states and even a few other countries. I'm supposed to be getting better at welcoming people uh, in, uh, I guess we've got some folks in the Netherlands that are watching a lot, so I don't, I don't know what's up with that, but I'm, I'm all about it, so welcome. Excited that you're here. Um, but uh, it, it's great. It's great to be here to celebrate and to really lean in to what Easter teaches us. Today, especially, what I want to do is I want to kind of give you the traditional Easter story, the one that uh, Reverend Billy Graham just shared for me. Uh, he introed me today. That's just a little thing that he did for me, a uh, little thing he put together for me before he passed away. So that was pretty nice. Uh, and, uh, and I want to read to you the, the, the passage that that's referencing. And then uh, I, want to, I want to take that Easter perspective and I want to shift it 180 degrees and talk about it from a little bit of a different angle. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. I'm also going to put the verses up on the screen. And this is the resurrection story. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Uh, this portion of the story right here I think is really important because Scripture is, is, is really what our church is founded on. We also believe that the Holy Spirit, which is this active part of God, it's, a, it's the part that connects with you and kind of, kind of awakens you and challenges you and convicts you and lifts you up. This part of the Spirit of God is so very present, we believe, in our church. And I think for many people, just like this story right here, today you're here to marvel. You're hearing the words of Jesus. You're hearing that he's resurrected. You're hearing someone tell you, hey, he's not in the tomb anymore. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. I'm curious about that. Guess it's a place for curious people. Guess I belong here. And you do. So marvel away. But what happens next is what God does with marvelers, if that's such a word. Verse 36, and they were talking about these things, all the things that they were marveling around, and that suddenly Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. He introduces himself. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. He invites them in. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, the, the women go to the tomb, they discover that he's not there, they come back, they tell the rest of the disciples, Jesus isn't there, and the disciples marvel at what the women are saying. Peter goes and actually looks in the tomb, he's more, a little more inquisitive, he's like, you know, he's varsity level curious. So he puts himself out there, and he's like, listen, I'm not saying he's back from the dead. I'm just saying he's not there. They go back into the upper room, and they marvel some more. And then Jesus shows up in the midst of their marveling, in the midst of their curiosity. Jesus shows up, and he's like, peace to you. And they're like, oh. And they're like, this experience that we're having can't be real. This has to be something going on in my, this Jesus that is standing before me can't be the same Jesus that, that, that was prophesied. It can't be the same Jesus 
in the scriptures, just like a lot of you might be experiencing right now, whether here or watching online. You're like, I'm marveling at the idea of Jesus. I like the words of Jesus. I like the concept of Jesus. I'm going to marvel it a little bit. And then my hope is that today or a day like today, suddenly Jesus shows up and you're sitting there and you're listening to a song or you're listening to a sermon. And all of a sudden Jesus is like, peace to you. And you're like, Ooh, And then you're like, nah, this can't be real. This can't be real. And then Jesus is like, invite me in. Invite me to have some dinner with you. Invite me to have some relationship with you. For this tangible explanation, he's like, give me some food. And I like that all they had was like old fish. I think that's profound. It just goes to show Jesus doesn't care. He just wants to hang out. He's he's not really there for the food, by the way. He's not like, what, broiled fish? I am the king of kings and lord of lords. He's like, do you have any fish? Do you have anything for me that we can sit and connect in a human way? This is what happens when you marvel. Jesus shows up. He brings you peace. The peace makes you uncomfortable. Next thing you know, you're having a relationship with Jesus. You're sitting in a church community, and you don't even know how you got here. Or you're being impacted in your front room or listening to this driving down the freeway, and you start to think, uh-oh, I need to turn this off, but you just can't because you know today's for you. And after that, this relationship builds, maybe shortly like it did in this passage, Or maybe it builds over a longer period of time, and all of a sudden it says, Jesus opened their minds. See, when you move from marveling to being curious to having relationship with God, suddenly Jesus opened your mind, and all of a sudden you just know that you know that you know that your life will never be the same again. Now, I don't know where you are in that process. It's not my responsibility. It's the Holy Spirit's job, and he's really, really good at it. But I know that all of us are somewhere in that process. And all of us are sitting in the room right now trying to figure out how does this Easter story awaken something in me more than what it is I've been out there looking for. This is the Easter perspective we teach, and it's important and it's valuable. But I want to teach it from a little bit of a different perspective. Instead, what I want to do is I want to spend some time looking at it from God's perspective. According to the Bible, you can read through the symbolism over and over, Easter is a celebration of love's ultimate story. That's what Easter really is. It's not a a Sunday morning church tradition or an Easter egg hunt or an opportunity for you to get together and eat your mom's casserole that you pretend to love so much. (laughs) Some of you are in here right now like, I knew it. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. I I got you with casserole. I want to be a Christian now, Pastor Danny. My mom's casserole has been haunting me my whole life. No, that's very Holy Spirit right there that just, that just happened. But here's, here's what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to recognize that that's the typical perspective. But if Easter, according to all Scripture, front and back, point towards Easter as being God's ultimate love story, then instead what I want to do is not look at Easter from our eyes, from our typical eyes and our understanding, which are all valid and important, but I want to look at Easter from God's eyes. I want to look at it from what He's seen because... From God's perspective, all people have a love story with him. All people. And you'll be like, no, I definitely don't have a love story with God because I don't even know God. That's fine. All people have a love story with God. Some people have a just beautiful, romantic, like like Hallmark Channel kind of just cheesy love story with God. And, and, and even as you say it back, you're like, yeah, I've got to admit I'm blessed. Like, like my love story with God is just like he just showed up and he like cut down the perfect Christmas tree and he showed up with one of those red scarves and I was like, what? A sleigh ride for me? Like it's just crazy. It's just crazy how beautiful it is. And then other people, you're like, 
I don't even know this God that you're talking about. That's because you just haven't met him. Trust me, he's hanging out around the corner watching you. And it feels a little awkward at first. Because you're like, what is this God engaging with me when I don't want to engage with him? Because this is how love stories work. Some are beautiful and some are broken. Some end in these beautiful ceremonies and some end with breakups. But either way, all of us, according to scripture, are having a love story with God right now. You just have to figure out which one you're living out. Isaiah says this about our love story with God. All God's perspective, by the way, on Easter. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul, my soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Listen to this description of how God sees us. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Scripture says over and over that when God sees you, when God sees you, he sees a bride. He sees himself as a groom, and he sees you and I in this unfolding, constant love story. It is how he illustrates his desire to be with us over and over and over. It is how he views us. So for us to understand Easter, we have to first set ourselves up in the position God has when he's viewing the story, which is us as his bride and Christ functioning as that groom that's coming to bring completion to the marriage story. So that's what we're going to do. We're actually going to pull this off the pages and we're going to see what it feels like from God's perspective to interact with his bride on Easter morning. We're going to sit inside the imagery when it comes to our love story with God. So here's the first thing that happens when you decide that you are going to engage with your own curiosity and your own kind of uh, place in spirituality. The first thing that usually happens is you get pulled into a space like this or you listen to a podcast or you read a book that somehow changes the atmosphere of your mind. Somehow you're not just opposing, you're not really for, but you recognize there's something different happening in the room right now. There's something going on. So what I want to do to illustrate that is I'm going to change the lights. It's going to tweak the lights just a little bit. And once the atmosphere in your mind changes, then all of a sudden you can sort of start to engage with the more tangible aspects of reading chapter after chapter and sort of setting the stage for this conversation you're going to have with God about what you think of him or about what you don't think of him. It doesn't really matter. For me, I'm going to use these flowers. So let's pull these, these flowers and let's set them up on the stage. And while the flowers are being set on the stage... I'm going to add just a little bit of soft underscore, just a little bit of life music. And it kind of makes the room just feel different, does it not? This is now somebody who's interested. This is now somebody who's like, I don't know about this God thing, but, but I feel like me doing it on my own hasn't really worked out like I thought. And so I want to try something else. So the lights have been dimmed and the flowers have been said and the music has played. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere usually, someone starts encouraging you. Someone strange, someone not normal. Someone like these two folks right here. You guys come stand up here. Sorry, kind of awkward. Okay, can I have these two folks? Anybody over here to come stand here? I just need two people to come stand right here. Okay, one. One more, okay. Roberta, yep. Oh, these two, that was perfect, yep. Yep, I'll take three. We'll do three. Let's add another one. Carl, 
I know you're our photographer, but you're still going to stand there just for one second. That's fine. Some witnesses can be the photographer. Let's give you a better angle. Okay, these are your witnesses, right? These are people in your story that are telling you about, hey man, it seems to me like your life is sort of focused on you, and hey, this is just sort of cyclical in your approach, and boy, it sure seems like you might want to kind of do something different, and they encourage you. Maybe they're grandparents. Maybe they're a friend at work. Maybe they're a stranger out on bench. It doesn't really matter. They're just people in your bridal party witnessing your transformation slowly and often over years. By the way, most of you who are on this journey, you know who these people are. You're like, that's my grandma down there. That was my dad. That's my friend. These are people who are there to encourage you and to stand by you. And then all of a sudden, one day, there's a collective inhale as you find yourself in a conversation with somebody who introduces you to Jesus. She shares with you in a much more detailed way than you've ever heard before how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, she leaves this path that you really can't deny. She mentions things that, that you know are from God as she excitedly tells you about Jesus Christ and how much he loves you. And then it's at this point that you know something big is about to happen as you look across the table and everything changes. Would you please rise? It's at this point God tells you about all the love he is going to share with you. He says things like, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. For God's love is patient and kind. God's love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. For God's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. For God's love never ends. And you take in all those words because they're the words that you've been waiting for. And then he asks, do you accept me into your life? And you answer, I do. She does. 
And everybody around you, the witnesses, the flower girl, all the people, they're like, I can't believe it. You're here. You made it. I can't believe it. You know Jesus. We're so excited for you. You are a bride of the living God. And so am I. And so are you. This, this is how God sees you. This is how God sees me. And there's nothing like when people first meet Jesus. I mean, look how beautiful she is, right? Look how everything is, is tailored perfectly. Look how elegant and wonderful and suddenly all the pieces of your story just make total sense. You're like, well, this led to this, which led to this, which led to that, which led to there, which led to here. And you are at peace and you are found and you are whole and you are home. I'll never forget feeling like this when I first accepted Christ. For me, it lasted almost two years. I would float around and I would tell my friend I so badly wanted to be a flower girl from then on. <laughs> In a way, I'm a professional flower girl right now, aren't I? <laughs> Change that my job title. That's all I do. I just sprinkle petals to Jesus. That's what I do. I love this part of my Christian life, and I hope you do as well because it is important and it is beautiful and it is all biblical perspective. It is all true and honest. I'm not making stuff up. This is what the Bible says and how, this is how God sees you. But then like all love stories, along the way, distraction enters the picture. And distraction is nothing like Jesus, but he is also dressed in white, and he is also very, very interested in who you are. And he can represent anybody that you want or anything that you want, anything that might break your relationship with God. And the first thing he does is soft and gentle. He recognizes the way you live must feel kind of restrictive. And so with gentle caressing, he just says, hey, I don't, I don't think you need this because you're just as beautiful as you are without it. We'll just get rid of it. Nobody says you have to have a bouquet to be a bride, by the way. I don't know what kind of religious system you're following, but you're beautiful just how you are. And you feel it. You're like, this is refreshing. I mean, this, this feels really, really nice. And then this individual, this entity, this feeling, suddenly says, hey, don't you want to dance with me? We should go this way, or we should go this way. And you're like, oh, but I'm, I'm kind of following a path, and I'm kind of doing a thing, and this person sort of gets a little pushy and a little shovey, and it says, but you don't, you don't really need those shoes, do you? No one can even see them. They look so cumbersome. You don't need Bible studies. You don't need Scripture. You just, just be you. Oh, you're so beautiful. And you feel it, and it's freeing. And it's fantastic. And then they say, I still feel like you're not really being authentic. Let go of this whole bride imagery. I mean, seriously, you are a strong, powerful woman. You don't need to dress up. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to do anything but, but what you need to do. Because I find you gorgeous. And you feel it. Right? You feel it. And you're like, oh, it's so freeing. I've been trapped in religion for so long. I mean, I kicked these shoes off. I got rid of this church community thing. I let my hair down. I have someone who loves me no matter what. This is who I'm meant to be. This is what I'm about. And this 
is how I'm going to live my life. But see, it never stops really there because no relationships do. They either die or they grow more intimate. And this one is like all the others. And it grows more intimate and it grows more demanding. And it doesn't just suddenly care how you live your life. It cares how you treat other people's lives. And so you begin to engage with all sorts of dysfunctional, ego-feeling pleasure and pride. You begin to inhale things that you never would imagine you'd inhale before, and they're usually fairly secret because a bride engaging in these kind of things, well, frankly, it just seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Stunning. <laughs> And you're like, this is pretty awesome. Like, I get to still be a bride for God, but I also, I get to engage in my own thing. I get to have my own kind of countercultural move. And this person that loves you, loves to share with you, and loves to encourage you to keep engaging. <laughs> Until eventually you're like, ah, I don't know if I like this. And I'm like, yeah, you don't need that stuff. It's low-key anyways. But once you mark yourself up, suddenly you realize that there's even more. There's even more painful things out there that you can do to distract yourself. And so you decide that, you know what, I don't even think I really need this dress because I belong to something that loves me so much. And so you start to take off these pieces that don't really matter. And suddenly you just find yourself really not caring at all about who you are and what you are and where you're going. And suddenly you start treating everybody around you terrible. You start becoming the hypocrite you always felt judged by growing up as you walk around in your beautiful, stinky wedding dress, <laughs> telling other people what it's like to be a bride of Christ. And then from here, there's really only one thing left to do, and that's fall in love with anyone and anything but Jesus. And this, this is when the real damage occurs, because this is when you begin to exchange your life for theirs. You begin to open up your story for theirs, and you begin to consume the world in all it's glory. But at least now you have something to hold. You're no longer a bride without a bouquet. It's right about here your relationship with the world changes. It's right about here that your relationship with the world becomes something more where they make a face you've never seen before, and they say, what, what is this? And you want to say with your eyes, but you gave it to me, and the world says, I never gave you this. This is disgusting. I mean, look at your hands. Look at your body. Do you really think this is how brides should be? I, I thought you were a bride of Christ. You look more like trash. To me. 
And it's at this point you become so uncomfortable as you try to smear it off that you collapse into yourself, trying to hide the stains that not only you, but everyone else around you can see. This, this is what has come of our love story. This is who I am. This is who you are. Somebody entranced by this world and all of its promises. Somebody who made decisions that caused me to lose my first love, to fall in love with another, and to stain my life with my own decisions only to be called out by this lover of a world that promised it would always be there for me and was not. And this is exactly what Easter is all about. Because this is when Jesus entered the room. The first thing he does, it feels a little bit cruel. He plays your song. The song that you, that you felt when you first experienced him. He plays that song and you hear the song and you know he's there and it's embarrassing and it's shame-filled. And you can hear him. You can hear him walking step by step by step. And you know he's there. And you know he can see all of your mess and all of its glory. And you think for sure he's going to judge you. He's going to deny you. He's going to bring harm to you. (laughs) But instead, with your song playing in the background, he just starts picking up the pieces. That time you took your shoes off because it was too hard to follow. That time you started to inhale because you didn't want to feel anymore. That time you tore the dress he gave you because you didn't want to be known as a Christian. Or that time that you indulged with the world and drank in all of its broken lies so that you could be anything but sober. Once he's picked up your mess, He moves back to lock eyes with you. And he lifts you from your space. He doesn't completely erase it. He looks into your face and he sees you stain it all. And then he begins to clean. With forgiveness, he cleans away your stains. Isaiah 118 says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Until finally... The grace of his cross and the resurrected power of his love is wrapped around your entire person, everything you are. And then you are slowly lifted from your muck and from your brokenness and you are picked up off your feet in relationship. This God, his way is perfect. 
The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. This is Easter morning. And this is what it means to be seen from God's perspective as he carries us all the way home filled with his incredible love. My hope is that this imagery that is not my own, but is scripture, that it is forever seared inside your mind's eye about how God loves you, that you will see Easter from a fresh perspective, that you will appreciate the sacrificial love of the Lamb and how far he came for you, that you would realize that the greatest love story ever told was told about you and God. This is what we're supposed to be about. This is the message we are supposed to be bringing. This is why Christians are supposed to be different, not because we don't have the same mess as everybody else, but because we have a God who, in spite of that mess, lifts us where we are, holds us as we are, forgives us as we are, and carries us home to him. This is what people need to see and know, and you're supposed to be the one that's sharing it. So are you living like a bride of Christ, a stained, torn, messy-haired, sticky-faced bride of Christ? Are you open and honest about the things that are in your life, or do you pretend? Are you one of these early phase where you're just a bride with a cigarette and a little curly out of place, and so no one's like, yeah, no, you're, you're fine, and the, everyone around you is like, that doesn't seem fine. Can you be authentic about what you need Can you be honest about what it is that you're marveling at instead of just believing it? So I want to talk to two groups of people here. We're going to pray for both of them. The first group are the people that you are only marveling at God. You've never actually engaged with him. You've actually never walked down the aisle. You're just marveling. You can feel today with this perspective that there is an offer for you. There is a relationship for you. You could feel it. And you need to accept it, I believe. And then I want to talk to Christians who are just holding hands with the world. The ones who, you're just a little too close to the world. You're just a little too close to these ideologies and these things that have gotten in the way of your gospel pursuit because you are all about dancing and carousing with whatever makes you feel as light as you possibly can. Those are the people in the room, I think, that are the majority And I'm here to tell you in this part of our nation, we need people who are willing to release the world's hand, drop to their knees, praise God, and feel him lift them into their presence. So I'm going to pray for those two people, those ready to begin the journey and those searching but in the wrong ways. So can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? For those of you who are brand new, this is some of the first time you've ever experienced this imagery, you've ever experienced this perspective. I just want you to pray this simple prayer. If you want relationship with God, just say, Lord, it's me. And I am tired of running. I am tired of building a life on my own plans and ideals. It didn't work for the generations of my family before me, and it shouldn't work now. And God, I need something different for my life and those following So I recognize your son was crucified on that cross, that he rose from the dead to offer relationship for me. 
I recognize my stains. I recognize my need. And although, God, I am not better, I am not improved, I'm just me. If you'll have me, I want to be loved. For the others in the room, Lord, I just pray a deep sense of loving, loving, peace-filled conviction. That they would just for a second see what you see as they engage with this world in these secretive areas. That their hearts would be broken by the affairs they're having outside of relationship with you. Affairs with fear and greed and pessimism and apathy. That their hearts would be broken for their original love, their true love, the one who still plays their song in hopes of bringing them home to him. God, may there just be a strong sense of repentance within our church and within our community as we come back to you. God, I repent of my own pride, my own arrogance, my own fear, my own exhaustion when I feel like I can do it on my own and I don't need you, when I've held hands with anything or anyone but you. I pray, God, that this Easter would not just mark the first time that we were able to worship you on Easter in our home, but maybe, God, the beginning of something totally beyond our control, something bigger, something broader that no one but you gets credit for. Maybe this Easter marks the first time that an entire group of people realize that they still are the most beautiful bride that you've always wanted. And so, Lord, we lock eyes with you, with our Jesus who paid it all. We reflect upon how you've brought us here, the witnesses, the flower girls, the music, and the romance. And we ask, Lord, that you would meet us once again. That you would not turn your face from us. That you would not leave us or break us or hurt us. But that, Lord, you would hold us as we are, stains and all. That you would make us white as freshly fallen snow and accepted. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your love that paid it all. We lift this time of reflection on Easter morning to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow for Jesus paid it all all to him my own sin had left a crimson stain he washed White as snow. He washed it white as snow. 
soul to save My lips should still be